I want to talk to you about a place called Calvary. A place called Calvary. So look at Luke chapter 23, verse 33. Luke 23, verse 33. It says, And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified Him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. I want to read it one more time. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified Him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. And let me just mention this. This is the only time Calvary is referenced in Scripture. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your presence this morning. We thank You for what You've done so far. And we believe today that You're going to do even greater things in this service. And so I ask You now to speak through Your Word. And I ask that You open the ears of the people. I ask that You open their hearts to receive. And I ask God for Your touch. I ask for Your anointing that You would help me to say the things that need to be said. And I pray, God, that You give me liberty to preach. And I pray that You give me the unction and power to say the things that that you would have me to say. I pray, God, that you'd help me say no more, no less than what needs to be said. And I pray that you pierce our hearts today to receive it. And God will thank you for what's accomplished in this place. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. And amen. Next Sunday morning is Easter Sunday, and we'll celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But before we can celebrate the resurrection, we have to talk about the crucifixion. Before He could rise from the dead, He had to first of all die a cruel death on a cross. And so this morning we're going to talk about that place called Calvary. Now while Jesus lived His earthly life, there were many places that played an important part in His earthly life. You have the place of Bethlehem and Bethany and Nazareth and Jerusalem. You have the Judean hillsides and you have the shores of the Sea of Galilee. You have the synagogues in the villages and the great temple at Jerusalem. These were important places in the life of Jesus, but they were only steps along the path to the place mentioned in our text today. Every step Jesus took in His earthly life was leading Him to that place the Greeks called Topos Cranian. The Hebrews called it Golgotha and the Romans called it Calvary. It was known to all as the place of the skull. And if you read the Gospels, you'll find that all through the Gospels, Jesus said this was His destiny. Look at Matthew 16, 21. From that time forth, from that time forth began Jesus to show to His disciples how that He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. And then Matthew 17, 22 and 23 he says this, And while they abode in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man shall be betrayed into the hands of men. And then in Matthew 26 and 2 he says this, You know that after two days is the feast of the Passover, and the Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified. Jesus knew why He had come into this world. He knew that He came into this world to lay down His life and to give His life as a ransom for many. In fact, the very morning of His death, He told Pontius Pilate that Calvary was the place that He was going. Listen to what He said in John 18 verse 37. 
Pilate therefore said to him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered him, Thou sayest that I am a king. But notice this. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world. Jesus came into this world to lay down his life. In fact, in one other place in Scripture, Jesus said, You didn't take my life, but I laid down my life willingly. I have the power to lay it down and the power to take it up. Again, so Jesus knew why He came into this world. And here's what He said in Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered to, but to minister and to give His life a ransom for many. And so this morning, I want us to travel back to Calvary. And as we do, I want to give you six facts about that place which make it a special place that is different than all the other places that Jesus went to during His earthly life. So number one, it is a place of substitution. It is a place of substitution. Look with me at Luke's Gospel, chapter 23, verse 13 through 25. And Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people, said to them, You have brought this man to me as one that perverts the people. And behold, I, having examined him before you, have found no fault in this man, touching those things whereof you accuse him. No, nor yet Herod, for I sent him you, sent you to him, and lo, nothing worthy of death is done unto him. Verse 16. I will therefore chastise him and release him. For of necessity he must release one unto them at the feast. And they cried out all at once saying, Away with this man and release unto us Barabbas. Who for certain sedition made in the city and for murder was cast into prison. Click a little bit faster brother. Pilate therefore willing to release Jesus spake again to them. But they cried, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. And he said unto them the third time, Why, what evil has he done? I have found no cause of death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. Verse 23. And they were instant with loud voices, requiring that he might be crucified. And the voices of them of the chief priests prevailed. And Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they required. And he released unto them him that for sedition and murder was cast into prison whom they had desired. But he delivered Jesus to their will. In these verses you can see that Pilate was going to let Jesus go. In fact, Pilate said, I've examined him and I find no fault in him. He says he's done nothing worthy of death. But the crowd insisted that Jesus be crucified and Barabbas to be released and let go. Well, Barabbas, he deserved to be in prison. Barabbas was a robber. He was a murderer. He was an insurrectionist. He was guilty and he deserved punishment. However, he was released. He was set free and Jesus took his Place. You see, at Calvary, Jesus Christ became the sinless substitute for all of humanity. Barabbas was guilty. Barabbas deserved to die. But Jesus took his place on the cross. And you see, Barabbas is a picture of the sinner who deserves judgment. Barabbas is a picture of you and me who deserve to die. But Jesus took our place at Calvary. 
Calvary is a picture of substitution. We deserve to be guilty. We deserve to die. We deserve to pay the penalty for our sin. But on a hill far away, Jesus took our place as the sinless substitute to lay down His life for you and me. Calvary is a place of substitution. Aren't you glad that He laid down His life for you and me? We were guilty before a holy God. But Jesus said, I'll go in their place. Amen. But secondly, it's a place of suffering. A place of suffering. First of all, let me say that Jesus endured real physical pain. He endured physical pain. He was the Son of God. But the Bible also refers to Him as the Son of Man. 100% God, but 100% human. He knew what real physical pain was. Verse 33 that we read says the, the phrase, There they crucified Him. Those four words condense over 18 hours of suffering. Four words talks about 18 hours of suffering. Let me just share with you briefly what he suffered. What he had to endure. He'd been arrested. He'd been tried and convicted in a mock trial. It was a phony trial. False witnesses had been called against him and had been, he'd been abused by the temple guards. Look at Matthew, Mark chapter 14 verse 65. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to buffet him, and to say to him, Prophesy, and the servants did strike him with the palms of their hands. He'd been taken to Pilate where he was abused by Pilate's soldiers. The Bible says he was scourged, he was beaten, he was spit upon, his beard was plucked from his face, they put a crown of thorns on his head, and he was mocked. He was sentenced to die and suffered along the Via Della Rosa, which means the way of suffering. And it it was 650 yards long. He carried his cross. He carried the patibulum or the crossbar and it weighed 110 pounds. And because he had been beaten so badly, he couldn't bear the weight of it. And so Simon of Serene was brought out of the crowd to help him carry the crossbar. And he was nailed to the cross. The nails picture railroad spikes seven inches long and three-eighths inch in diameter. And these nails were driven through the median nerve right here in the wrist as he was hung on the cross. And being through, driven through the median nerve here in the wrist would cause his body to be afflicted with pain and it would cause his body to spasm as he hung on the cross. In fact, the Bible tells us from all the beating and torture that he took, he barely looked like a man anymore. In fact, the cat of nine tails that he was beaten with, it contained metal and bits of bone. And when it latched to his back, the soldiers would rip it from his back and pull flesh from his body that it would expose his ribs and expose his intestines. And because of all the beatings he took, he barely looked like a man. Look at Isaiah 52 verse 14. It says, as many were astonished, or as many as were astonished that the, his visage, his, his face was so marred more than any man, and his form, his, his physical appearance more than the sons of men. He barely looked human anymore. 
That's how badly he was beaten. Jesus endured physical pain. But can I tell you something else he endured? He also suffered the pain of loneliness. See, as Jesus hung there on the cross, all of his friends had deserted him. His disciples had forsaken him. And even the four women and the one disciple that stayed there so long at the side of the cross left him because Jesus commanded them to go home. So when Jesus came to the very end of his life and he's about to draw his final breath, he was truly all alone. No one was there to wipe the sweat from his brow. No one was there to apply any kind of healing ointment to his wounds. No one was there to wipe the blood away from his body or to help him in any way. He had to suffer the pain of loneliness in his death. You see, here's the thing. When we have loved ones that die, we gather around their bedside to be there in their final moments. But Jesus had nobody at his final moments. They'd all abandoned him. He suffered the pain. Of loneliness. But thirdly, he suffered the pain of misunderstanding. It seemed that nobody in the whole world understood why Jesus had come. Nobody in the whole world seemed to understand who he truly was. Think about it. His mother and stepfather didn't really understand who he was. His half-brothers and half-sisters didn't understand. In fact, they thought he was crazy and demented. His enemies didn't understand. They thought he was just another king trying to take over the throne. Even his disciples didn't understand. They thought he was going to set up an earthly throne in an earthly kingdom and they were going to cash out and benefit because they were his followers. Everywhere people misunderstood Jesus and why he had and why he'd come. But fourthly, he suffered the pain of God's wrath. And in my opinion, this was the greatest pain he had to suffer. You see, on the cross, Jesus took the sins of humanity. Upon himself. The one who had never sinned became sin. The one who had never had an evil thought, never spoken an evil word, never done an evil deed became sin for you and me. Look at Isaiah 53 and verse 6. It says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Galatians 3 verse 13 says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. Notice this, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. On the cross He took our sin. And in that moment, God the Father turned away and couldn't look at His Son. And so Jesus cried from the cross, My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken me. Think about it. You, you, want to, you want something to blow your theological mind? God forsaken God. God is so holy. God is so righteous. God is so pure that when all of the sin was placed on His Son, God had to look away. And Jesus there in that moment, God, why have You forsaken me? He had to face the pain of God's wrath. Jesus suffered on Calvary. Calvary was a place great suffering. But thirdly, it was a place of sovereignty. It was a place of sovereignty. Hear what I'm about to say. Calvary wasn't some tragic mistake. Jesus wasn't there at the hands of sinful men. I know the crowd and the religious councils and government had condemned Him to death, but they weren't responsible for Calvary. 
He was there because this was the plan and will of God. Long before the dawn of time, long before God spoke light into existence, long before God created the heavens and the earth, God had a plan to redeem fallen man. In fact, the Bible tells us that Jesus was a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Listen, God had a plan to put Jesus on the cross. He decreed it and declared it. And He carried it out. Listen, Calvary wasn't an accident. Jesus didn't end up on the cross by chance. He was there because of the predetermined plan of God. God worked through the actions and choices of the wicked men, but it was God's sovereign will that led to Jesus' death. And you might say, preacher, you're going to have to show me Bible for it. I'm glad you asked. I've got Bible. Acts chapter 2, verse 22 and 23. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with powerful works and wonders and signs which God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. Now look at verse 23. You have taken him who was handed over to you by the ordained counsel and foreknowledge of God and by lawless hands have crucified and killed him. Men made decisions and men made choices, but it came down to the counsel and plan of God. Look at Acts chapter 4, verse 27 and 28. Indeed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were assembled together against your holy son Jesus, notice this, whom you have anointed, verse 28. To do, notice this, what your hand and your counsel had foreordained to be done. Pontius Pilate and the council, they made decisions. But they did what your hand, what, and notice that's a capital Y, referring to God's hand, God's council had foreordained to be done. God determined. Man walked down. God didn't make them do it. But they walked it out. Why? That'll blow your mind, won't it? God determined it, but man walked it out. Listen, God's in control. We make decisions and we walk things out, but listen, if God's determined it, he, God's plan stands. Acts 13, 29. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, because you have to understand, it was prophesied in the Old Testament where Jesus would be born, how he would die, and where he'd be put in the tomb. It's the, the, the Old Testament prophesied he'd be buried among the rich. And who took him off the cross? Joseph of Arimathea. Pretty wealthy man, wasn't he? And buried him in his own tomb. When they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulchre. They fulfilled what was written of him. Who, who, who decided what was written of him? God did. That, that, that's your Old Testament. Calvary wasn't an accident. It wasn't just chance. It wasn't just happenstance. It wasn't a mistake. Calvary was a place 
I believe God is in control. Those wicked, ungodly men crucified Jesus with malicious hand. They did exactly what their wicked free will wanted to do. But in pouring out their hatred of God upon His Son, they did exactly what God determined must be done. It was a place of sovereignty. Number four, it was a place of satisfaction. It was there that Jesus fully satisfied the righteous demands of God. Look at John 19, verse 30. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, He said these words, It is finished. And he bowed His head and gave up the ghost. In the Greek, that, those three words, It is finished, it's tetelestai. One word in Greek, but three words in English. It is finished. And when He cried those words, God the Father was satisfied. Jesus' death meant that God's justice and wrath was satisfied and sin was taken away. There would never have to be another sacrifice because Jesus paid it all and purchased our redemption. Hear me this morning. Jesus paid it all and we don't have to work for what Jesus paid for. He settled it all at Calvary. Satisfaction took place at Calvary. Amen. Jesus died once. He'll never die again. And we don't have to die. We put our faith in Him because He satisfied the demands of God at Calvary. You see, we couldn't satisfy it. Jesus was the only one that could satisfy it. The blood of bulls and goats and lambs couldn't satisfy it. There had to be a sinless substitute that could satisfy it. And Jesus paid it in full. And all to Him I owe. Amen? But number five, it's a place of salvation. Calvary is the place of salvation. Look at verse 42 and 43 of chapter 23 in Luke's Gospel. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Jesus wasn't the only one crucified that day. There were two thieves that hung with him, one on the left and one on the right. And apparently one of them towards the end gained some kind of spiritual insight into the real nature of Jesus. And he begged for mercy. And that day he received the promise of paradise. And here's what I want to say about that thief. He was saved entirely by grace. He didn't deserve it and he couldn't earn it. But Jesus laying down his life on the cross that day gave that man eternal life as a gift freely without anything that man could do to earn it. That very day that thief died and he went with Jesus to paradise. Calvary represents salvation. You see, had there been no cross, there would be no salvation. Had there been no shedding of blood, there'd be no forgiveness of sins. You see, there would, have, there would have been no salvation for that thief and there would be no salvation for us. But Jesus' death at Calvary secured our salvation. Hear me today. All who have ever been saved have come by the way of the cross and all who ever hope to be saved will have to come by the cross. Without the cross, without the shedding of blood, there is no redemption. I like what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. 
He says, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but to us which are saved, it is the power of God. You see, to some the cross, it sounds like foolishness, but to, thus, but to those of us that have experienced, we know its power. To those of us that have been to the cross, we know just how precious it is. I'm reminded of that song, at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. Let me ask you, have you been to the cross? Have you been there and experienced His cleansing power? Have you been there and have the burdens of your heart rolled away? I'm thankful for the cross of Calvary. Hallelujah. But finally, number six, is the place of separation. Look at Luke 23, verse 35 through 37. And the people stood beholding. And the rulers also bid them to ride at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he be Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar. Verse 37. And saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. Now let's look at verse 39. And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. There were those at Calvary that day that looked on at Jesus as He suffered and they were unchanged. They saw His bleeding body. They saw His body that had been beaten to a pulp. They were unchanged. They were hard-hearted. They were unmoved by what they saw as He hung there laying down His life for their forgiveness. And even as He cried out, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. They were unmoved and unresponsive. But the reality is it's still the same today. People can hear the message of Calvary. They can hear about the cross. They can hear about the blood and still remain unchanged. You see, the cross is a place of separation. It's the dividing line between heaven and hell. It's a place that all must identify with. The reality is if there's no cross in your life, there's no salvation. It was there that Jesus suffered and died for each of us. And hear me this morning, if you've never been to Calvary, if you've never knelt down at the foot of the cross, you're still in your sin. And the fact is, there's no reason for anybody to die lost and suffer the judgment of God. Redemption was secured at Calvary. So I ask you this morning, have you been to Calvary for that cleansing foe? Have you been there and experienced the redemption of God? The fact is, you have to decide in this life. In the next life, it's too late. What you do with Jesus now determines what He does with you in the next. So I close with this. What does Calvary represent to you? Can you identify with it and the Savior who gave us life for you? I stand here I have really but one thing to leave you with this morning God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ I never want to forget the message of the cross would you stand with me this morning